Fantastic. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. This is Dave DeBow, and it is my pleasure to invite you to today's special presentation, The Four Biggest Insurance Mistakes Multifamily Investors Make, with our guest expert here today. And our guest expert is none other than Mr. Jeremy Goodrich. Jeremy is a real estate insurance advisor. He's a podcast host. And he's just a hell of a good guy. And he's going to make insurance more interesting than usual for us here today. It's a low bar, Dave. It's a low bar, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, Jeremy, thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing some of your, your knowledge and your insights about you know, some of the blunders we can inadvertently make when it comes to insuring our multifamily properties. It's absolutely my pleasure to be on. Dave, thank you for having me. I really enjoy this stuff. And even if it is insurance, I think it's super important. I believe there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in this conversation that expand from insurance and really through to service providers as a whole, and obviously to commercial real estate as a whole. So I'm pumped to go for it. Awesome. Well, I'll let you take it away, my friend. I may jump in from time to time to get a little bit of clarification if I don't understand something, but otherwise I'll let you take it away and I'll turn off my ugly mug so I don't distract him. I love it. So like uh, Dave said, this is the four biggest insurance mistakes multifamily investors make. And I want to tell you right from the beginning what you're going to get in the next half hour or 45 minutes of conversation. And so it really starts with how to find service providers. I want to expand from insurance to service providers before I dig into the insurance part of the story and say, look, as I'm going through this conversation, I want you to ask yourself three questions, four questions. And those are, how do you see service providers? That is, how do you see them in your story? How do, they, how do you see them in your real estate investing journey? And how do you see them as a part of your team? How do you find your service providers? How do you vet those service providers? And how do you trust those service providers? I believe as you hear the stories I'm about to tell you, answers to those questions might shift from where you were at before we started this conversation to after. So I wanted to just plant that seed in your mind and maybe come back to it at the very end and see how you see. So what we're going to do here is tell you four, very quickly, four very real stories that I have experienced or other people have told me about their insurance experience and four very fake mugshots and four very fake names. So obviously I'm not going to share the real names of the folks who went through these experiences and navigated those. The first story I'm going to tell, I'm going to take the most time on because I believe digging deep into this will tell you everything you need to know about commercial real estate investing insurance specifically. It's a different world than home and auto insurance altogether. And you're going to see that as I describe this first story. And then the other three stories I'll go through pretty quickly. So let's talk about our victims in these four stories. Our first victims are Rico and John. They have a 144-unit multifamily value add. They're picking this property up in part of the story, and then uh, they've had the property for a little while at the end of the story. They're in New Orleans, Louisiana. Our second victim is Janine. She has a 100-unit, very distressed acquisition that she's picking up in Montgomery, Alabama. Donnie is a 54-unit, stabilized, long-term hold in Indianapolis, Indiana. And finally, Josie and Maria, a 36-unit value add. They are going to JV and come together there. Should I be admitting folks in here, Dave? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Admit, you can join. So those are the victims of our stories that we're digging into today. Let's see. 
There we go. So what are the crimes? What are the bad things that happen to these, the mistakes that they made? And these crimes will give them names. The first one we've named cheap, cheap. The second one we've named sellers, the feller. The third one we've named Gitter Dunn. And the fourth crime is I don't speak insurance. All of these are crimes that you have probably made purchasing insurance for your investment properties, but you won't make after this conversation. So I hope that's a good framework. We have four very real stories. I've obviously changed the names a little bit and changed the story. So I don't uh, give those people's stories away, but these are mistakes that people made. So let's dig right in. This first one is absolutely the most common mistake that people make. And I'm going to give you a concrete answer to why this is such a bad mistake. It's called cheap, cheap. And the basic premise of cheap, cheap, you've heard it before. Hey, if you can beat them on price, I'll take it. If you can beat them on price, I'll take it. How many times have you said that to a service provider? How many times have you said that to an insurance advisor? I bet you've said it before. And you know it makes sense, right? If you can get the best price, I'll take it. Let's look though at how this potentially could play out. So you ask for agents to send over a quote. You pick the cheapest one, done. It's pretty easy, easy peasy, done with insurance. You've got it all taken care of. You're done. In fact, 80% of real estate investors buy insurance this way. I know because I do a portfolio review for anyone who wants it absolutely free with no kind of strings attached or anything. And I see this over and over again. In fact, I was talking to someone today at one o'clock, very similar to the story I'm about to tell you. And they experienced the same exact thing. We had talked early in the process. They had felt like my option was a little bit more expensive. In reality, it just had better coverage, but they went with another option. And now they're calling me a month after closing with all of these problems around what happened and asking me to give them insight, which I happily did around what happened there. So they purchased from the cheapest person, even though clearly the person they trusted was not that person. So it happens all the time, but let's see what that looks like. So you're looking at a screen right now, or if you're listening, I'll articulate it to you, but there's basically these four agents that you've asked to go get quotes for you. And there are in this example, six different good insurance companies that could potentially provide a good proposal and good coverage or coverage in general uh, for this property. So you've asked four agents and there's, you know, multiple companies they could go to. Here's how commercial insurance works. The first agent that you gave information to went out. Oh, let's say the second agent that you tell is the person who you really want. That's why for those who are watching the green around the person, but you told the first person, the person all the way to the left first. And so that person goes out and blocks all the markets they can. They're going to block the good companies, especially the best companies. They're going to block some mediocre companies, even in case the best companies say no, they are going to go out and do what's called blocking the market. Now, it may seem kind of evil or something, but ultimately it's how commercial insurance works. Like you don't necessarily want your competitors to have access to the companies that you have access to, and you want the best options. So the first person you tell has a huge advantage because that person goes out to all the companies. Now, let's say the, the second person you tell is the one you really trust. I trust this advisor. I've had great conversations with them. I feel like they really have my back. They speak in a language that I understand, which every other insurance agent I talk to doesn't. 
I really like this second person. When you tell this second person, the second person is going to go out to the good companies and maybe the mediocre companies even, and they're going to see that those companies are not available. They've already been blocked by the other person. Now, they may have access to some bad companies, but that agent isn't going to go to those bad companies because that agent has ethics and knows that those bad companies struggle to pay claims and things of that nature. They're not going to go out and get a bad policy for you. When they see you've spoken to another advisor, they're going to say, well, I don't have access to my best options. And that person is going to say, you know, I'm not the best person for you. I'm not the best advisor for you. It looks like you're shopping with multiple advisors and my best companies are already blocked. I'm not going to be able to help you out. So you've lost the person that you trust the most simply because you didn't tell them first. So I guess the lesson there is if you're going to, if you're going to shop with more than one agent, tell the person you trust the most first, give them the opportunity to have a clean slate and go to any company they want. But there are two more insurance advisors in this scenario. Remember, we said we were going to tell four insurance advisors about this. So the first advisor has blocked all the good markets. The second advisor said no, because they didn't have access to good markets and they're not going to go out to the bad companies. But what are the other two going to do? Well, they're going to say, I want the account. This is going to be a $75,000 insurance policy. I could make almost $8,000 off of that one policy. I don't care if all I have access to is the worst companies. I'm going to go get a quote. And so that third person goes and gets a quote from one of the bad companies. And that fourth person sees that all that's left is one more bad company. And so they go to that other bad company. So now we have four insurance agents. Well, now we only have three because our best one disappeared. One agent has some decent quotes. The other two are going to have quotes that look really good, but actually they're not as good as you think. So what motivation have you created by shopping it out there and say, hey, if you can beat them on price, I'll take it. Well, it's pretty clear you've made, created motivation on price and price only. So what happened in this story? Well, there were two options. Option one was with the first agent. It was $113,000. I can't remember how many doors, uh, 144 doors. And that's really high on price. I think that might be off a little bit, but it's New Orleans, Louisiana, and you know, $700 a door, $800 a door, not uncommon. So it's probably not that far off uh, on price actually. Uh, so option one with a good company and the first agent they told is $113,000. Option two, as they narrowed it down, is $103,000. What we know, because you've been listening to, to me pull back the curtain and describe it, is that the $103,000 policy is a ton worse than the $113,000 policy. It's stripped down and doesn't have a whole lot of coverages. So the winner, surprise, no surprise at all, is the $103,000 policy. It's $103,000. It's a ton of money. That could be you know, $600, $700 a door. That's a lot of money that we just invested in insurance. The problem is you invested just a tiny bit less than the policy that really would have taken care of you. So that's how that played out in that scenario. What were the problems? There were huge gaps in coverage that made it cheaper, including they had underinsured building. They had ACV coverage, which is definitely bad. You don't want unless you really, really understand insurance and you purposefully choose it for some reason. For the most part, if you hear the term ACV, you need to run. 
and they got burned by the coinsurance clause. I'm about to tell you the claim story that they went through. So I'm setting up exactly what that is. So these are the things they lost. They had hidden exclusions, higher deductibles, and no loss of income coverage at all. So let's look at a claim that happened not too long afterwards. This picture I found from a different claim, but they had a claim about six months later. And that claim was a $500,000 loss. It was a fire inside one of their buildings, expanded a little bit to another building. The other building wasn't too bad. It was mostly just one building, partial loss, no injuries, no one hurt, thankfully, just a property claim. But the loss was about $500,000. Let's look at the difference in how this paid out. The policy they purchased, $500,000 loss. They had a $25,000 deductible. Now that in and of itself isn't terrible for large commercial real estate properties. I tend to like a $10,000 deductible unless we're getting really big and then we can go up to 25,000. It's really up to you. I think the deductible is the safest way to save money on insurance. So if you feel comfortable with a $25,000 deductible, fine. They had a $25,000 deductible. They had ACV coverage. Now, I'm not going to get deep into that, but essentially it subtracts out depreciation. And what they found in that situation was that it subtracted $75,000 for depreciation. So we subtract $75,000 for depreciation. There was a penalty for underinsuring. If you underinsure a property with a policy that has a coinsurance penalty, again, uh, not something I'm going to go deep into, the insurance company penalizes you for underinsuring. So not only did they have depreciation of $75,000 and a $25,000 deductible, but they had a coinsurance penalty of $50,000. That claim, they had a $350,000 insurance payout. They had to deal with $150,000 of that loss on their own because of the quality of their insurance policy. At least it wasn't denied or some of the crazy things that we hear in insurance, but that is an example of what happens with the you know, a lesser policy, right? We, you know, we paid out $150,000 in the claim. Let's see if we had purchased that other policy. And the other agent, just to pull back the veil even more, the other agent was me. So they didn't choose me. They chose someone else. They came back to me later and said, hey, here's what happened. And of course, they wanted to talk it through with me. So what was the other option? Same $500,000 loss, right? Same exact thing. We had a $10,000 deductible. Okay. That was better. $10,000 that we're going to have to pay out there. Replacement cost coverage was included on the policy, which means there was no depreciation like ACV has, which means $0 that comes down from the replacement cost of the policy there. There was no co-insurance penalty because either I think I waived it. There's, you can waive the co-insurance penalty with uh, better companies. So I had waived the co-insurance penalty. And so no co-insurance penalty there. $490,000 insurance payout. Now that payout obviously did not happen because they didn't purchase that policy. But in that scenario, that's more like what you expect your insurance policy to do, right? You know you're going to have to cover the deductible. That's not a surprise. That $10,000 at the top, not a surprise, right? But these other things are all surprises. And you've got a fire you just dealt with. You've got tenants that are unhappy. You've got all these things going on. You're dealing with a crisis. And then as that crisis plays out, you find out that your insurance policy has all these little things that are going to nickel and dime tens of thousands of dollars to lower your coverage. 
So what happens here is a payout that you expect. What happened in the previous scenario is a payout that you didn't expect and about $140,000 more of cost. So you saved, what did you save? I don't remember. You saved $10,000 a year for the insurance premium, but you lost $150,000 in this claim. So what was the problem? The first, well, there are a couple of problems here. The first agent you tell has the upper hand. So that could be fine with you, but really make sure the first agent you tell is also the person that you trust the most because they are going to have the upper hand in the scenario. And motivation is race to the bottom if you say, if you can beat him on price, I'll take it. The only motivation there is price. And if you're going to motivate insurance advisors or any other kind of service provider on price, you're going to get what you pay for. And this was an example. So the outcome, a terrible insurance policy, a terrible agent, probably no advisor. The person I talked to today is frustrated with the advisor who gave them that cheap policy, the cheaper policy than I could awesome than I could offer. Both of the people in this example and the person I talked to today ended up coming back to the advisor that they trusted most, even though they didn't buy the insurance policy from that person. You know, if you are choosing not to buy from the, the person you trust the most, you know, maybe rethink how you see your service providers because whatever little amount you saved is not worth the amount of extra anguish that you're going to likely deal with. And then finally, of course, the $140,000 out of pocket in that claim. So the real hard money associated with this difference in situation was $140,000 of difference. So what's the lesson? Let your advisor make companies compete for you. In my opinion, you know, if you've never gotten insurance for your real estate stuff before, maybe you you work with a couple of people to see who you really trust. But once you find someone you trust, I think all seasoned uh, investors will tell you that they find insurance advisors and lenders and lawyers and property managers and accountants and, you know, tax advisors that they trust. And once they have that trust relationship, they stick with it until there's some reason to change. That's what good business owners do. That's what good real estate investors do. And that's something that, particularly with insurance, we're not taught to do. But in my opinion, it is so important to do that. And then let your advisor make the companies compete. I am an independent insurance advisor. I don't work for anybody. I own my own business and I ask insurance companies to come be a part of what I'm doing. If you want to compete in my agency, I'd love to have you. If you can compete, we'll write lots of business with you. We'll place lots of business with you. We're going to have a good relationship. If you can't compete, you're out. We'll find somebody else. And that's how I work and insurance companies know it. So find folks like that and focus on quality coverage and the best price. It's not that you should go out and buy the most expensive insurance policy. No one's suggesting that. But focus on quality coverage and good price. Oftentimes, better coverage is just a little bit more expensive, but if you really broke it out, it's actually cheaper than if they had added all that coverage into the less expensive policy. And so it doesn't make sense. You know, now it's just about coverage. We could save you money anyway. All right. So that is the lesson there. Cheap insurance is expensive. And that's the thing I want you to take away from this particular story and this mistake is cheap insurance is expensive make sure you have some understanding of what's going on. That's a fascinating idea. Hold that thought for a second. 
Hi there, this is Dave DeBow, and real estate investors hire me to raise capital the right way. Why? Because most of them are stuck with too small of a portfolio, and they don't know how to attract investors and raise money for their deals. So I help them to connect, capture, and close their ideal money partners. Bottom line, when you've got a deal, you're going to have the capital to do it. So go ahead and book a no-cost capital clarity session with me at bookachatwithdave.com. Again, that's bookachatwithdave.com. So there it is. That was the one that I wanted to dig into the most. What I did was peel back the curtain on exactly how insurance works on the backside, right? What we're doing, once you ask us to go out and get you a proposal, we're going out and we're working with markets and we're blocking markets and blocking markets kind of sounds negative, but essentially insurance companies don't want to work with four or five different people on a commercial insurance policy. They want to work with one person. And so the way they set it up for the most part, they work with the first person who gets there. And I guess that makes sense. So that is that story. So if you have any questions about that story, comments about that story, go ahead and put it in the comments or reach out to me over over Facebook and stuff like that. I'd be happy to write back. But let's go through the other three examples. Now I'll go through these much quicker in much less detail, but I wanted to dig in and just give you a sense of that. And Dave, if you hear me and do want to come in and ask any questions, let me know. I'm more than happy to, but I will jump into the next mistake at this point. So mistake number two is sellers the feller, right? And here's the scenario. Janine is about to pick up a 100-unit distressed acquisition in Montgomery, Alabama. This property was cool. It was, there was some occupancy. I mean, there was like 20% occupancy or something like that. It was 100 units over, I think, about 20 buildings. That's not quite right. There were eight eight units of building, whatever that is. And there were 20% occupancy. Like five to seven of those buildings were totally vacant. We had some boards on the windows. We had that particular neighborhood was really run into the ground by the investor. It was an international investor, needed a place to put money, and really just brought the money in and then just crashed the property. The properties around that one were in great shape, had great occupancy, had really nice returns. And so I think this was a really a good deal for someone who had the construction capacity, the ability to do a heavy lift like that, and Janine absolutely did. So everything really looked good about this scenario when she was telling about me me about it later on in the story. But here was the problem. Where's the where's where it says? Well, I guess it doesn't. But the problem is I'll just plug in the seller's numbers. Most of the time when you're getting due diligence information from the seller, they're giving you T12s and other things that are telling you the insurance costs that they're experiencing. If you use that number, that is the problem. Let me see what it is. So if you use that number, there are some problems. What are the problems with that? Well, the seller may have got insurance 10 years ago, as was the case with Janine. In this example, Janine had plugged in her underwriting about $250 a door for her insurance costs. Now, anybody who's known insurance for a little bit knows those were, those were possible numbers for the best case properties. 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, maybe if you have 4,000 units, but not likely to be the insurance cost that you experience in, you know, right now. So she used that seller's information. Well, what was the problem with that? The seller got the insurance 10 years ago, right? And the property wasn't distressed at the time. The, the property was in great shape, in a good neighborhood, 
had good things going on. Occupancy was 80% plus. You know, there certainly weren't boards on the windows. None of the stuff there was the same as it is now. And on top of all of that, the seller was a huge investor. The seller had, you know, somewhere around 4,000 units. So all those different things were problems with just plugging the seller's numbers. And I see this all the time where someone comes to me late, a couple of weeks before closing, first conversation we're having and says, I was using the seller's numbers and now I'm asking insurance agents and everybody's got different stuff. I'm in trouble. At this point, you may have raised already if you're syndicating. I mean, you've already underwrote for sure with that lower number and that can cause serious problems as it did in uh, this scenario. What was the outcome? Well, she had to leave the deal mid due diligence. I think there may be more than just insurance to give her credit, but you know, insurance was a big part of it. We ended up at $700 a door instead of the 300 that she had before. So a 40K difference, while not huge, if you're right on the line though, 40K of profit could kill a deal. And in this scenario, she decided to pull out of the deal. And this was certainly a big part of it. So what's the lesson of this mistake? If you aren't sure, ask an insurance agent for a ballpark. If you haven't purchased in that town already, if you haven't purchased especially a heavy lift, if you've got uh, occupancy under 80%, get a ballpark because it's not going to be the same as the seller's numbers. If you're coastal, get a ballpark. If you have anything about that property that is significantly different and could be a risk to insurance, you know, look around as you walk the property, get a ballpark. A good insurance advisor is going to be able to say one of two things. One, yeah, I think you're good at $400 a door. Underwrite at that, we'll get a harder number later on in the process. That's a text conversation back and forth. Or, wow, that one sounds a little different and I may have a harder time. I'm not exactly sure on the number. Let me get to work on finding some better numbers for you and let me get a better number for you. It's going to take me a little bit. For that heavy lift, you know, I mean, the, the quickest I could pull off a number is probably a week. And really to get solid numbers from all the people I'm going to have to, it takes a couple of weeks uh, to even a month to really pull it off and be able to make all these insurance companies go after each other and get you the best price and all those kinds of things. So especially heavy lifts and serious value adds. If you, you're buying a property that's a 19, early 1970s build, you know, get a ballpark. There are just elements of those 70s properties that you want to make sure that you've got it on, on not on lock because you know we'll, we'll get it on lock later, but you have an intelligent insurance advisor who works with commercial real estate to tell you a number that you should underwrite with and make sure that insurance agent thinks of a number and then tells you $50 a door higher, $25 a door higher or something like that. So they're making sure to give you a safer number than where they really think it's going to land. That's the advisor that you want. Never trust the seller's numbers for insurance. All right. So that was mistake number two. We've got cheap, cheap was mistake number one. Sellers, the feller was mistake number two. Get her done is mistake number three. Let's talk about Donnie. Donnie, and I see this one a lot too. Donnie, 50, 54 unit, are, you know, already stabilized, going to do a long-term hold, essentially just picking it up. I think it was a, a JV deal with one or two other people, certainly wasn't syndicated. Pretty simple, straightforward deal. 
the question asked here or the issue here is, hey, just add this one to my portfolio like all the others. Call up your insurance advisor. You picked up a new property. Maybe you just send them a text or a you know, quick email. Just add this one to my insurance policy like all the others. Makes sense. You've got a relationship with the insurance advisor. Things are, you know, you've got that happening. Why can't I just say, hey, just add this one like all the others? Well, let's see what happened with Donnie. What you didn't do is give the agent enough information. And really, the agent should have immediately said, hey, yeah, no problem. Happy to add it. Here's five questions. You know, they don't need to, shouldn't need to ask 50 questions. You know, I really try and ask as few questions as possible, but make sure that I do ask all the important questions that matter. You didn't give the agent enough information. And so what happened? A fire happened. This one, actually, I had this person, the real person on my podcast. If you want to go look for the episode, it's not that hard to find. But a fire happened and the claim was 100% denied. Now, fortunately, it was a single family home and it wasn't a large apartment complex, but the claim was 100% denied. Well, of course, Donnie was shocked. Why are you denying a claim for a fire? The most basic coverage on insurance policies is for fires. Fires have been covered since insurance was started by travelers insurance, or it wasn't, travelers didn't start insurance, but travelers did start property insurance in the United States. But, you know, a fire happened. Why in the world is this claim denied? Well, it was the incorrect occupancy. Every other property was an annual tenant was a tenant that lived in there. These were tenant-occupied single-family homes. I think he had like 25 or 50 or something like that. Had a whole bunch of them. This one was a flip. So he picked this property up and it was vacant. It was under construction. In fact, the reason the fire happened was one of the people doing the construction was drilling into the wood siding. This was, and it was drilling into the wood siding and that bit got hot and created smoke and started a smolder inside the wall and every, all the contractors left for lunch or something like that. And it ended up creating a fire that burned down the entire house. They come back to a burned down property. It was the incorrect occupancy. They had put a vacant property on a schedule of buildings that were all tenant occupied. And that sounds really simple. And it is really simple. And there's a part of me that hates this about insurance. But the reality is if you get the occupancy wrong, it would be like putting a homeowner's policy on a tenant occupied property like that kind of it's like okay well yeah those are two totally different things well a vacant property is drastically different than an annual tenant occupied property as well now i would say there are some good insurance companies out there that would not have denied this claim but they have the right to it clearly says in the insurance policy that you have to denote what the occupancy is and it was incorrectly denoted there when he said just add this one like all the others he didn't mention that this one was a flip. This one was vacant. This one was going to be vacant for a while while they turned it over and maybe they would put an occupant in there if they didn't sell it afterwards. So that was the problem there. So third mistake, just add this one like all the others. What's the lesson? Always share the correct occupancy and always make sure you're working with an advisor. Maybe that's it. Take the time to inform your agent thoughtfully. Look, we're all moving fast. I'm moving fast. You're moving fast. There's a thousand things you have to do to succeed in real estate. And we all get that. And every single one of your service providers should understand that. That's why they should ask all the important questions 
and none more. And if they can find the information, they should try and find that information themselves. We have access to a lot of systems in the back end so that we have to ask fewer questions. But in the end, I've got to know what the occupancy of a property is. There's no system out there that can tell me whether you are going to flip that property or whether you're going to put an annual tenant in there right away. So that's the lesson there. All right, we're coming to the fourth and final mistake. And this one is an easy one to make. I think real estate investors, well, real estate investors get moving fast. I think that's the problem sometimes. And mistake number four is I don't speak insurance. I don't speak insurance. So this is Josie and Maria, 36 unit value add in Cincinnati, Ohio. I don't know where it says Indianapolis there as well. They were in Cincinnati. And this was a pickup for them. So what was the mistake? I don't understand, but hey, that's insurance. I don't get it anyway, right? And I, I can understand that on some level. I mean, no one wants to understand insurance super in-depth, but let's see what happens. Well, who they picked up, the, the problem was who they decided to pick up since they don't speak insurance. They also picked up insurance, an insurance advisor that doesn't speak real estate, that doesn't speak commercial real estate. There's Commercial real estate insurance policies are have high premiums generally. And what that means is that insurance advisors can make money off. And so that's, you know, whatever. The problem is people who don't know what they're doing will say yes, because they see the price tag and they think about the price tag and they say, wow, I could make a serious amount of money if I take care of this and they get in over their head and they get lost. And that's the big mistake here. And so if you're picking up someone who's not, oh, the problem is they're not a CRE specialist. And the problem is, is insurance agents who never make any sense, right? So this, so a, a person is not a CRE specialist. They're not making any sense to you. And you're just like, I don't understand. I don't speak insurance. If you don't understand at a basic level, I'm going to argue that's a problem. I'm a, a passive investor in multifamily. I could just trust the operators. And I do, as I grow a relationship with them, trust them more. But you better believe I've learned how to underwrite a property before I put $50,000 into that property or $100,000 into that property, right? Yeah. I think the operator is the most important person and the most important part of those decisions for me is that human and how I believe they're going to go through the business plan. But I still have to understand at some point. And that's what I'm saying here is when you say, hey, I don't understand insurance. Well, the outcome is really terrible insurance policies, is insurance advisors that don't know what they are doing, is insurance policies that aren't going to take care of you like the mistakes I've seen before. There's a basic understanding you should expect to learn. And if you don't want to learn it yourself, which is reasonable, then you should expect your insurance advisor to give you enough information so you can understand the basics of how insurance works. On my website, there is a you know, complete guide to real estate insurance and how it works, right? You can at least use that. You know, Go and find the complete guide on our website and learn how insurance works. The basics are pretty straightforward and you should understand them at least at a basic level. And especially if you get on a phone call with an, your insurance advisor and spend 15 minutes and feel dumber afterwards than you were before, you have the wrong insurance advisor. That person is not able to articulate something that is complicated in a simple enough way to be a true partner. 
in your investing journey, to be a member of the team, to be a part of your team in your investing journey. That is what you're looking for from all your service providers. And that's what you're looking for from your insurance advisor. So the outcome of this scenario is you don't have any peace of mind. If you don't understand your insurance policy, how do you, when you worry about a house burn, a property burning or someone getting injured or whatever in the middle of the night, how do you have the peace of mind? Well, I've got insurance. It's okay. If you don't understand it, there is no peace of mind. And that's the true mistake of doing that. So what's the lesson? Connect with a CRE specialist. There's plenty of us out there. There are great insurance advisors across the country, and I'm obviously happy to help as well. Ask questions and note whether they're able to communicate insurance in a way that makes sense. If they can't do that, then what is the value of your insurance advisor? Um, All right, Dave, I'm wrapping it up here. I hope that's okay. The crimes were cheap, cheap. If you can beat them, I'll take it. Sellers, the feller. Hey, the seller's insurance policy was $200 a door. That's what mine will be well as well. Get her done, just giving a limited number of information and uh, that's it or a limited amount of information. And then I don't speak insurance. I don't even want to know. Just do it. It's also a mistake. What's this last? Oh, there we go. That is it. There we go. So Dave, what questions do you have for me? Well, if you don't mind, go back one slide there if you if you don't mind there, Jeremy, just to remind me of the of the big issues. So yeah, I found it very interesting in that first issue, the cheap cheap thing, that like I had no clue that if you're shopping around, you're actually shooting yourself. It could be shooting yourself in the foot because you get locked out because one one insurance agent will kind of block you or block other insurance agents from quoting with a whole bunch of different companies. I had no idea that that's the way, the way it works. So yeah, making sure that you get your first quote from the, the guy or the gal that you'd really like to be working with makes a, a ton of sense there. Is, is that just me being dumb or is that really not very common knowledge there? You know, I think that it's behind the veil a little bit and I don't really understand why. I think that as insurance advisors, our job is to tell you how it works. And I just don't think people do. I, you know, there's, there's some insurance advisors who, if they even see a deal on Facebook, they'll find the address and go out and block a bunch of markets. And so there's, there's, there's some sort of dirty stuff behind it. But in the end, if, if I see that markets are blocked, that gives me an opportunity to go back to you, Dave, or whoever and say, you know, I see that you're, you've spoken to another insurance advisor before me. That's totally fine. Here's how it works. And it means that I don't have access to, you know, these companies that I truly believe are the best option. And so I tend to have those conversations. I think I find, I always find it interesting when my clients start knowing the, like, you know, knowing the things, many of the things that were brought up here, you know, and I do think it's an education piece. It's absolutely how it works in the back end though. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Then number two there, just relying on the seller's numbers from, God knows when and hoping that that's going to hold true when you buy the property. I've seen that be a problem. Rushing, number three, rushing through things and just saying, hey, out of the, to the stack of deals I already got with you and not yeah. giving the, the agent the, the details. Yeah, that could be a problem. And then, you know, claiming ignorance, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> About yeah. the basic terms. So go to, go to the last slide there, if you don't mind, Jeremy. And again, a lot of people. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. For yep. the very last slide. Yeah. Yep. So I think you've got a, on your website, you've got a glossary of insurance terms or an explanation of what all that insurance gobbledygook means. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So I, I created a complete guide where I tried to break down insurance into an A, B, C, D structure. So basically four parts to understand a real estate insurance policy. It's specific for real estate and four different coverages that I believe are the most important coverages. I just explain those really simply. You know, here's what building coverage is, you know, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And just giving you some basic terminology and some basic concepts behind those four coverages. There's only four things. There's a lot more to insurance policies than those four things. But there are at the foundation just four things that you need to pay attention to when you're considering commercial real estate insurance. Good stuff. All right, Jeremy. So if people want to connect with you and find out more about you, shineinsurance.com is the best place for them to go. Absolutely. Shineinsurance.com is where you can find some of those resources and us. If you'd like to listen to the podcast, it is reiclarity.com or obviously on any of your podcast apps. And then finally, we have a YouTube channel with about 14,000 subscribers where we teach a lot of real estate concepts all the way from first-time homebuyers to commercial real estate investors. We're really around protecting your real estate. Uh, so insurance concepts and uh, real estate investing concepts as well. You can find us at, you know, just Shine Insurance on uh, YouTube. Shine Insurance on YouTube. Fantastic. Well, Jeremy, you did make it a hell of a lot less boring than other insurance. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So thank you very much. No, I, you know what? That's that's an important skill. It was. It really is because when you're talking about that last thing, I don't speak insurance. Well, there's lots of things that average people don't speak very well. And insurance is one of them. Accounting terminology can be another one. And when you're working with a provider who can dumb it down, for lack of a better term, and I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at myself, and simplify things so, so that you can actually understand it, that is huge. That's huge value. I'm just thinking about myself. And sometimes I've, I've worked with a, an accountant in the past I didn't know what the hell the guy was talking about 90%. Me of too. The time, right. Yeah, me like, too. Yeah. Right. And then you, you feel kind of silly. You don't want to tell people that you don't understand what they're saying. Yeah. So yeah, if you can find somebody that that puts it into everyday language, that's huge value just just in that alone. Plus, you know, the fact that you're a, a passive investor yourself, so you get it, you, you understand more than just the insurance, but you also understand things from an investment point of view. That's very, very valuable. So Jeremy, thank you so much for, for doing this for us. I appreciate it very much. It's my pleasure. I love teaching. I was a teacher for 13 years. So every time I get to do this, I'm like, yes, I, I'm teaching again. Well, that's probably so, why you're, you. you're able to explain it so well, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So thank you for having me. I, I truly appreciate it. All right, my friend. Well, thank you. Everybody, thank you very much for tuning in there. Whether you watch this live or you're watching this as a, uh, a recording, encourage you if you're interested in finding out more reach out to jeremy if he can't help you can probably point you in the right direction absolutely all right take care thank you very much everybody well hey there thanks for tuning into the property profits podcast if you like this episode that's great please go ahead and subscribe on itunes give us a good review that'd be awesome i appreciate that and if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.